the only thing you can do is be good at what you are and let people know where you are to find you to get what you're offering. First, it was fun to take some pictures, then a side hustle. Now she's a part-time veterinarian. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today, the photographer with the new business is Dr. Isolda Baylor, who's turned a headshot hobby into an entrepreneurial venture and stayed on as an associate part-time. It used to be all day, almost every day in emergency practice. Now it's hard work, but in a different way. If you're feeling burned out, if you've neglected your favorite hobby, if you need a hobby, if you want a side hustle, you can learn a lot from Dr. Baylor. How did she get started? So I was always a mom with a nice camera. And about 10 years ago, the folks I worked with, we decided to do a fundraiser for holiday pet portraits. And we dressed up dogs and cats and costumes and Santa hats and I think it was 5 or $10 a photo, and we were raising money for a charity to support or dog rescues. And then when people started getting in front of the camera. I was like, this is really, really hard. And so I started down this journey of personal growth and learning, and I stumbled upon this group called the Headshot Crew, which is the largest group of headshot photographers in the United States or the world. And you did say Headshot Crew, not Hedgehog Crew. Headshot Crew. Peter Hurley's Headshot Crew, and that's where my mentor runs his educational platform. And I spent the last 10 years learning online and through community with weekly, daily Zoom meetings with my friends and trying to master my craft. And then I started taking photographs of other veterinary professionals, trying to up the website that for the hospital that I worked at. And then I was kind of traveling around locally in my little region to other hospitals and taking pictures of them. And I started to really enjoy that. And a side business was born. I want to ask about that. And now I want to go back to that first thing you said when we were taking those pet pictures, some people wanted to be in and you're like, this is much harder to me taking pet pictures. So again, pets moving, not paying attention to the camera. I know pets are cute, but it seems like pet pictures could be really hard too. When you experienced the pets were easy, the people were hard. What exactly was happening in that moment that made the people tougher? So most of the time, if I take a picture of somebody's pet and show it to them, they're like, oh, he's so cute. Oh my gosh, I love that. Let me post it. And I take a picture of them and they're like, oh my God, I look terrible. Oh, that's awful. Why did you do that? And there's a disconnect for a lot of people and how they look either on the camera or maybe how they're feeling about their own self, like how their face looked that day. And they really dislike the photographs. So I've spent a lot of time mastering lighting and posing camera techniques to try and create for folks an image that they really feel represents them their best. When you talked about these many years of kind of like, I'm going to go back and educate myself on this. I think some people would just, maybe that to me, that's like the veterinarian's way. Like, what do I need to do? I need schooling and education to get this better. And it sounds like it worked. Were you learning just how to make the pictures better? Or was there elements of the mentorship you got and the talking to other photographers about how you 
communicate about these pictures you're taking and how you get people to, because some people just don't want any pictures of them. So was it communication or your pictures were just better? And they're like, oh, that picture's beautiful. So it has been a whole journey of mastering my craft. I looked back at some of the photos recently. I found an old laptop. I was like looking at stuff. I'm like, wow, those are really awful (laughs) from a technical perspective. Okay. The lighting's not good. I didn't pose the person in a way that they look comfortable. And so knowing what I know now about how to master the camera, I can get somebody in front of my camera in three to five minutes, we can create a really awesome picture that they like. And part of that is just honing the craft and being better at it. But the value in joining the Headshot Crew for me was also the community, just spending so many hours, especially through the pandemic, with like-minded individuals. We were all kind of going down this path of trying to get better, be better photographers together, but also to take pictures that people feel better about. And there are a lot of people who you said they don't like having their picture taken. And they come in. I had a lady a couple of weeks ago. She was like, I don't, I'm here. They just told me I need my picture taken. <laughs> and she jumped in front of the camera. I did my thing. And she came out because part of the experience is you look at the photos on the computer and she was like, oh, oh, wow. And so she went from totally hating the whole idea to when we were, then I put her back in the lights. We took a few more frames and she was like, can I have three or four of these? I'm like, you can have as many of them as you want. And I want you to show them to your children because they probably don't have any pictures of you that you let them keep. And that's important. And so those types of experiences, I really enjoy. It's the communicating with the people part that I found I really liked. And I actually started my physical business where I was like, I'm not just going to keep giving away these photos, but I actually went out and got a license and, you know, created my website and all of that stuff because I was in hindsight suffering from some of my own personal burnout dealing with vet med for 25 years And I was tired and sad and my kids had gone to college and part of it was being an empty nester, but part of it, I'd sort of lost my purpose and my love for vet med. And I rediscovered it by reconnecting with people on the photography side of it. Can I ask about that? Is there a particular thing that happened? Was it the reflection that came with COVID? What made you think this thing that has been really fun for a few years and I've been studying, now I do want to take it from just a hobby and I will do this for free for people because I like trying it to, I want to make this a business in your mind. How did that switch happen? How did it feel? So I was going around taking website photos for other vet hospitals and I was kind of, you know, just basically doing it on my day off. I was just like, oh, well, we j- all the vets need better website photos. All the vets have terrible website photos. We got to make Correct. them better. So I was, you know, instead of working a day at the corporate that I was job I was in, I would go to a, a local hospital and do the, the photos for them. And I was like, you know, I'm actually doing a pretty good job with these. It's doing well. I, I really want to bring this awareness to as many people as possible that we have to elevate how vet med looks on our websites so that we can communicate better with potential customers and clients, maybe other potential employees. And so I decided that I just, I didn't want to be working as many hours in the clinic. I wanted to be doing something different. How is it having been a, an employed veterinarian to becoming your own self-employed person? 
What has the learning curve been business-wise, financial-wise, stress-wise? How does it feel different? So what's, to me, interesting, I was reflecting on this. Originally, photography was my hobby and my escape from my vet med, where I worked in the busy 24-7 ER clinic. I mentored somewhere between three and five new graduate veterinarians every summer, came to us from the local university. And I was sort of like second in command, backup surgeon. I was go, 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 busy all the time, late for every single event my kids ever had, stressed out trying to make it to pick them up after school. And like, there's a period of my life where like life just blew by and I have no idea what happened because I was so busy with work all the time. And photography was sort of my escape. And then now I've flicked the switch and I go and I work two days a week in a vet clinic and I found a situation where I'm using the skills that I'm best at, which is my surgical dental skills. And then the remaining five days of the week, I stress and worry about my side gig business all the time. <laughs> like it, it never stops. And so I love Mondays and Tuesdays when I put my scrubs on and my surgery sneakers and I go to work and it's, it's so much fun. I love connecting with the other people, be it the clients or the staff and the other doctors in the hospital that I work at. And I love snuggling other people's pets. That brings me so much joy. But QuickBooks is is my Achilles heel right now. (laughs) And there are so many things that go into starting your own business that you think, oh, it's just going to be easy. I'll buy a website and set up an email and people will just come. And that's not the case. (laughs) So as you think about that kind of you lived through a period of concentrated, you were focused on the job was stressful. And you're like, ah, the balance of all these other things in my life, it's all stressful. And now the vet med feels a bit like the escape and the stress has been put on the new job. Is it a different kind of fun stress that's on the new? It sounds like it could be a fun learning stress, but does sometimes it start feeling like I need to make sure not to do what I did with vet med with this other thing? Do you ever have to worry about that? There are definitely some lessons that are from vet med that I think could apply to running your own business. One thing that I think set me behind was the pandemic. Like everybody's got their personal story from the pandemic. I had opened my, hung my shingle, if you will, in the late fall of 2019 and took rental on a studio space February 1, 2020. And because I was a new business, I had to prepay my first year's worth of rent. So the landlord already had all my cash. Like I was done. Like, so I spent the pandemic renovating my studio space, making it the perfect place where I could meet clients and create images for them. And I think I took about 30,000 selfies, just mastering the light, trying different lighting scenarios, making sure that I was using that time in the space as best as I could. I also upped my vet med hours during the pandemic because with the whole Teams thing, if we didn't have a doctor then my support staff, they didn't have hours to work. So I was like, well, I'll work extra. Like we got to make sure everybody's on their payroll properly. So I was fortunate in so many ways to have a a full-time job to kind of lean back into. So, but, and the pandemic for so many people was just difficult in so many different ways. So would I be in the same seat I'm in in 2022? Probably not. If there hadn't been a pandemic, everybody else can say the same thing. And part of it was me going, yeah, I can do this. I definitely can do it. And not recognizing, like th- taking a big deep breath and saying, well, wait, what's my plan? I'm, it's not just that I'm going to take nice pictures. Like I need actual 
plan, like a business plan and, and also to, you know, ask for help. Like the same thing with the QuickBooks. I'm not a bookkeeper. I can take out some pretty awesome quick, you know, dog, dog teeth during a dental procedure, <laughs> but I sure as whatever cannot balance my books. Like this is just not my skill set. You mentioned something earlier about, and I think we talked about this earlier, and I think we both agreed. If you go to a lot of websites for veterinary practices, even very high, you know, places that do amazing medicine, the building looks great. Oftentimes you'll go and look at the website. And I feel like there's two things to gather. One is we just don't take regular photos. It's not our thing. We're focused on something else. So we don't really care about the website too much. Or I imagine there could also be a second current of, just like you said, a lot of people in veterinary practices are not focused on, I don't want the attention on me. I feel like oftentimes veterinarians can be very much very humble. I don't want the attention on me. I don't want pictures. You know, if you want to put my name on the website, fine, but I don't want pictures of me. And the staffers, you think it's just the veterinarians, but it's not. Like a lot of times it seems like a ton of people in practice are, I don't want pictures of me. What was your experience when you went to these practices kind of inside and outside the corporate place you were working for? Did you find that a lot? And how do you sort of navigate that? Do you talk people into it? What do you do? It is definitely, as you stated, prevalent in vet med that there are a lot of folks who are like, and it's, it, they just, they either don't like pictures of themselves. They don't think that they're worth having a nice picture or there's, there's some disconnect there in terms of potentially, and looking good is sort of the wrong term for it, but like having a picture that accurately represents who they are, that's well lit, well composed, technically from a, you know, like the, there are different things that go into making a good photo. One of the things is the actual focal length that the lens of the camera is on. So if you hold your cell phone up in front of you and take a selfie, and then you look at the data of it, the lens that the selfie is using on a, let's just say an iPhone, because that's what most people have, will be something like 28 millimeters. And that distorts your nose and makes your cheeks look funny. But if you flip it around and go onto the portrait mode, the takes it at 77 millimeters, which is a much more pleasing look. It doesn't distort the face as much. And so when I'm taking these pictures, I have a lot of people who are at this base of like, oh, I take terrible pictures. And part of that is just the feedback loop that they're seeing with social media and what they're taking with their phone, either it's not the right side of their face. Everyone's got a subtle side of their face. They seem to prefer more than the other. And it's just, it's not something or that something that goes into it a lot is the expression. So folks will use a photo where they've been out at a party and they're with their friends or it was a wedding and everyone looks nice and they're, they're laughing and they're comfortable and the photo looks, the expression on their face looks good because they're in an environment where they feel okay and safe. And having me roll up with all my fancy lights and my gear and I set up my tripod, I'm like, hey, we're taking staff photos today. And they're like, oh, oh gosh, no, I don't want that. No, 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 no. And that's why I have it all go into the computer so that they can see it immediately and they can say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like my hair that way. I'm like, well, we can fix your hair. We can move it around and change it. And I have, I'd say, three vet med folks over the course of, I've been into at least 25 hospitals now. I've had three individuals who've said, no, no, just no, I don't want to do that. And they don't, they refuse. And they they go to their manager and they say, no, I'm not having my picture taken. 
I have a handful of folks who come in and they're like, yep, I'm looking beautiful today. And you're, I'm going to be the best person you've ever had in front of your camera. And they do, they rock it. They look awesome. And everybody else is somewhere in, in between. And every once in a while, I get someone who watches everybody else get their picture taken and they're intrigued. They're like, Ooh, I could do that. But yeah, I'll try. And they come in usually at the end, very end of the day. And they end up with a photo that they really like. And that makes me walk out feeling like I did my job. And I touched somebody's heart and made them feel good about how they look. When you went to this group of folks who are all working on headshots, which is interesting, not just photography, but kind of a smaller band of people who are really focusing on headshots. Headshots are so important and they can express so much personality and energy of who a person is. But oftentimes they're very flat. People are running through hundreds of headshots. They're taking hundreds of headshots at a time. They can all look the same. Just doesn't capture what you're talking about, that person. In this place, with talking about the headshots, does everybody who's in that headshot group focus on just headshots or is it like a wider photography thing? And is there a difference between regular photographers who are interested in all pictures and people who really want to do that thing of capturing a person's personality in this one shot? There are a lot of awesome photographers out there. And some folks are great at everything. Okay. They can be event photographers and they can take you know, run a wedding. I would, I never want to do a wedding photography. That's just not my thing. And some people are really good at landscapes. They want to get up really early and take pictures of snow. That's their thing. The headshot crew, which I'm a part of, we are dedicated into the finer points of getting the lighting right, but really working on the expression and making sure that, that because some of the things I've studied talk about you have between three and seven seconds to capture some of the attention with a photo, especially in our digital world as we're like scrolling and scrolling and zooming past things. Or if someone's looking through potential resumes and they're like, oh, look at that photo. And if the photo's not lit well and it doesn't convey your personality properly, then you just get passed by because the photo doesn't do you justice of who you are. So to answer your question, there are several folks in my group who are just true rock stars and they do portraits and they do all sorts of cool, fun things. And then there are a bunch of us who we just purely specialize in headshots. I am kind of specializing in headshots and pet photography. <laughs> so as you say, there's this cat roaming in front of us. <laughs> yes, I see your kitty. <laughs> She's giving us her best side there. <laughs> so I also when I go to the vet hospitals, we do fun photos for the teams of their pets too, because a lot of vet professionals, they don't have a good picture of themselves and they don't have anything other than some blurry iPhone stuff of their beloved. So to me, it's also fun to, we like set up the lights and I'll throw treats at the dogs and we get action photos of the dogs catching the food. And, you know, it's fun to me to also catch the dog's personality in addition to the people. And I've done a whole series of photos where I'll do my whole coaching with a person, show them their photos. We get a good, just single headshot of them. And then I put them in and I've taught them how to pose themselves. What's the best angle of their face, how to hold themselves to take the picture. And then they hold their pet. And you can, to I can totally see as I look through the arc of the photos. Okay. Okay. That's pretty good. That's great to then it's like a home run when they do the same moves of holding their face in the right place. And then they're holding their dog at the same time okay. because everybody feels so much more relaxed 
when they're getting their photo taken when they have their pet with them, especially vet med team members. Like that to them is it's like their magic shield. It protects them. I was going to ask if that's like you talked about dangling the treats for the pets, but bringing your pet in yep. that dangles the treats for the vet professional. I don't want a picture. Well, you can bring your absolutely. Two cats. Oh, okay. Yep. 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 <laughs> it's tough because people get performance anxiety relative to the camera. Like they're like, Oh, am I doing that right? Wait, you said to do this. Like there are some people who just stand there and they don't move. Like, and I say all these dumb jokes. I like, I roll around with a box of um, vets against insanity cards yeah. and never have I ever just cause I run out of dumb things to say after a while. <laughs> and I like pull out a couple of cards and do some jokes and some people don't move, like their face doesn't move their bo- I say, you know, stick your chin out, like, so that if they put their face a little bit closer to the camera, it creates a little bit of a shadow under their chin and gets rid of that skin that some of us have as we age, we don't like as much. Yeah. They just stand there like a deer in the headlights and they don't move. <laughs> and I say my dumb jokes and they don't move. And then they hold their dog, then the dog's not behaving and then they get stressed out and it, it just, it goes around in a circle. So sometimes we have to take a break. <laughs> and eat some treats. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. Can you make, because I think you can, because you've thought about this for many years. I think I could be dismissive when I think about, first of all, I have a veterinary practice. It's already busy. So we have more clients than we can see. We're having trouble staffing. We could even add more. We don't need any marketing. So I don't care about my website. I don't care. It just doesn't matter. If somebody happens to look, they get the number and that's it, or we have a contact form. But as far as the about us page or what we do and these things that bring the staff to life, I want to see it. But I maybe you, if you've heard people like, we don't need headshots on our website, what would you say to people who say, I don't, we're just, we don't, we don't need that? So I think that. The one angle that I think is important for us as veterinary professionals to provide good headshots is to widen our staff and find potential coworkers. Because the same people, the same sort of reason why we would look through a set of pictures is if you were going to, maybe it's like, oh, I'm going to work at XYZ Veterinary Practice. Let me check out their website. Oh, who's this doctor? And it's like this blurry, fuzzy selfie from the sofa during the (laughs) pandemic. And like, it's hard to kind of say, does this place take itself seriously? And I also think that the face of vet med is changing. You know, I'm in my 50s at this point. I've been doing this for 25 
30 years, if you count all the time I worked during school. But there are a lot of kind of vet med influencers out there. They're of all ages, but possibly more on the younger new grad side who are making Instagram accounts and TikToks and kind of putting themselves out there, being vulnerable, showing, you know, that vet med is a fun group of people. So I don't see why we have to kind of do the whole profession a disservice by not showing us at our best to the world. And I've looked at, you know, the websites for major universities that have a dental school, a law school, a vet school, a medical school. Always, always the vet med photos are so far inferior for the professors compared to the professors in the dental school or the medical school in a comparable university. And it's not that we're all so smart or that we're scientific and we don't want to be looking good. It, it's just, I think it isn't something that we've made a priority to kind of showcase our profession in the best light. Okay. And I do like that because my immediate thinking business-wise was, oh, I'm thinking about external stuff for clients. Clients are going to come and want to see pictures of our staff. And I know I do. When I go to a veterinary practice website, I go to the people. Like I can read through your list of services. Great. But you're all going to do a lot of the same services. I want to say, who are these people? There is something about pictures. The fact that all these social media applications, Instagram, all these things operate on pictures. The picture in the video is so powerful. And right, it's just forget the clients. How about the staff? If you're having trouble staffing, that might be an enticement to show that you are open to understanding that people are maybe expressing themselves a little bit on social media about their profession. It used to be not at all. And now I bet it is growing. And so the sort of business headshot is for somewhere like your profile picture on LinkedIn, your website holder for your staff on your website. And that should be a little bit more formal, a little bit more kind of well-lit posed, showing you at your best and conveying whatever sort of subtle facial messages you think you want to be putting out there. So I photograph a lot of new career veterinarians and they always ask me, be them fourth year vet students to folks who've just graduated. They're like, can you make me look more confident? Like they want to be showing themselves to potential clients that they are not terrified to be the one who's the doctor taking care of the pets. And they want that. They want to be shown that they are confident and confidence comes from the eyes. It's a very subtle thing. And that's why I work so hard on the lighting because if you have these scared, dished out, like your pupils are all dilated, <laughs> you look like a deer in the headlights and you're not sending this quiet subliminal message to the viewer that you know what you're doing. And then approachability, it comes from the mouth. It's a very soft, little, subtle smile. It's not a big cheesy grin. It's not like, oh my gosh, I had three drinks last night and I'm exhausted. You know, like it, It's a very subtle thing. And we spend a lot of time coaching for that, especially when I have a younger career veterinarian in front of my camera, because to me, it's so important. They need to be able to have a good foundation to start out properly with the clients so that they can enjoy this career and spend, if they want, a lifetime helping the animals. And then the other side of it is I meet a lot of folks my age or older, and they're like, can you make me look younger? And I say, <laughs> yes, I can. I can do it either with lighting or camera techniques. And then there's Photoshop, which is our little secret, but it is a very magical program that can take care of some things that you don't like about wrinkles on your neck like I've got or, 
whatever it is. It's, it's just a very subtle polish, but it really sets the photo apart from a B, B minus to an A or an A plus. And I think all the vet med folks deserve that. I want to ask, so thinking about what people get from these photos, I'm wondering also from the side hustle, what you, I think you talked a little bit about what you got out of starting this hobby outside vet med and how it helped you. And there are a lot of veterinarians out there who are not at the beginning of their career where they're completely focused on vet med and they're so excited and they want to do all vet med. Now they've been in it a while and they need some outside thing and they didn't have an outside thing. Has anybody ever come to you and asked, how did you get this started? And do I need a hobby or a side gig? Do, does anybody ever ask you for a side hustle or hobby advice? Because, you know, again, veterinarian, top of the game, doing awesome. And then I need this thing outside. What, what kind of advice do you have for people who are like, I'm top of my game and I'm burning out and I think I do need an outside thing? I think everybody needs an outside thing or two. And part of it is is from vet med or but just from anything in general. So I took a couple weeks this fall. We went on a little family trip and we're staying at a cabin by a lake in Canada. And the Wi-Fi wasn't great and the phones didn't work particularly well. And I read like five books and <laughs> did some journaling and some deep thinking. But it's important to sort of take a step back and be able to carve out time for yourself. And as working professionals, be it technicians who are just a couple of years into the career to veterinarians who've been doing this for 20, 30 years, like you need to be able to take a step back and away and just shut your brain off and stop worrying about it. So being able to kind of take some time out to like just just pause and not be obsessing about your job or your career all the time is important. So one of the books that I read was called Stolen Focus. And it was sort of talking about a lot about how the phone's and the internet have sort of broken our minds and our ability to think well. And that to be able to kind of shut stuff down allows your brain to kind of free up and think about other problems if you're, you know, not so doom scrolling on Instagram all day long, or checking your email three times an hour, like just to take a break. And then also to get lost in something to be sort of hyper focused in solving a problem that's unrelated to the vet med allows your brain to kind of chunk on other parts while you're doing something, be it, say you're a woodworker and you're sanding something and you're just doing something that's a little bit not requiring your brain to kind of think, but you're doing a kind of honed activity. The back of your brain, I think, starts digesting away at like, oh, well, this this is some way I can do that differently. So I also am a knitter. I love doing things with my hands. So my knitting is also another place that I've enjoyed kind of being away from vet med, taking care of your kids, taking care of your family. But sometimes that's also feels like just one more responsibility. It's important, I think, for people to have just some type of a thing that they can do away from their career and their family and their responsibilities that gives them joy and presence. You know, recognizing that it helps for all of us to have one, two, three things outside our main worry stress thing or our main worry stress things. Is there anything, any feedback you got as you started to work on this and think about doing this more from managers or leads or peers that were worried about whether the side hustle would take you away from practice? Did you get any feedback about this? Anything that wasn't completely overwhelmingly positive? No, I didn't. uh, You know, mostly I've been leaning into the support from my family. Okay. 
but I had kind of been moving around in my career a little bit. So stepping to a different hospital in a different corporate environment kind of took away that feeling that anybody was saying, hey, why are you doing that? There are times, though, especially around the holidays, as we are now, where I think about like these poor ER vets who are just being rolled all the time. And I, you know, am I not standing up and helping the profession by working three or four more shifts a week? But I'm trying to help the profession and help the vets in a different way. Can I ask that? So if you were thinking of talking to managers and leaders and they're hearing that people, maybe they think, I I think my people do need something outside. People are burning out or other people are thinking about kind of spinning up cottage industry stuff and things outside. Was there any ways in which your managers and leaders were particularly supportive at all of what you did? Or if you wanted to tell people, if you knew people were going to listen to you talk about this and then go out and like, I kind of want a side thing too, but I'm worried about that with my bosses. Is there any advice you'd give to those bosses to be open or how this gets massaged or negotiated at the level of the job? Originally, as I started going around to sister hospitals in the the corporate region that I was in, I had support from the regional operations director who was like, hey, this is a really great idea. Okay. And that I really, in part, it was almost their idea, like, hey, we're going to bring you to kind of a regional meeting and have you do headshots there. And I was like, hey, this is kind of fun, (laughs) meeting all these different vet people and taking their picture. And so that helped me go and sort of think in my brain, hey, this would be a, a neat way to to kind of help other veterinary professionals. So I did have that regional support from from leaders in the company that I worked for. And I think that happy employees are better employees. So if there are ways that managers and companies can support, because there are just more and more corporate ownership of the veterinary hospitals. So if there are ways that people can feel the opportunity to get out there and stretch themselves either because they enjoy photography or they want to go mountain hiking or whatever it is that makes them be able to come back and say, hey, it's Monday. I'm putting my scripts on. I love going to work on Mondays. (laughs) Then you end up with more productive employees, less medical mistakes, less burnout, less drama. And then the animals at the end of the day get better care. And that's why we all do this is so that we can make the animals better if we can. It was interesting. You maybe alluded to it just a little when you said, I do think about, oh, when I, when these crunch times come up, I was in those crunch times and I'm like, oh, I all hands on deck. I need to go be a hand on a deck somewhere and go do this. I have a responsibility to do that. I think that thing you said about happy employees being better employees, it's hard to feel that way sometimes if we do get in the mentality of, perpetual understaffing and perpetual feeling like everyone's under the gun all the time and there's just no way to take your foot off the gas. And so when somebody comes and says, I'm really excited about trying this thing, but it would mean I'd have to move my shifts around or I would have to, yeah, do a different schedule or cut down part-time, just panic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I started my career. I worked week on week off seven days in a row, seven days off. Okay. 7 PM to 8 AM. For five years. Wow. Through two babies. Like, I wanted to drive my car into the side of the highway. I was so tired and so stressed out for so long. 
And then I switched to days and I was sort of the mentor and the helper. And I did the schedule and folks would come to me and they'd be like, and we would have a discussion. And this was back in the mid 2000s, like the early 2000s, like, what's important to you? Like, do you need a specific day of the week? Because we were, I was running a schedule for 24 hour GPER hybrid clinic, and I needed to cover those shifts. And sometimes if that couldn't cover the shifts with all the number of people we had working, I would work an extra shift, or I would come up with like a creative band-aid to make it work. Because I knew that, you know, Dr. A needed to leave at three o'clock on Tuesdays to go pick her son up from school. Like to me, those types of things were so important. And so I hope that all of the vets that worked under me for those years can look back and say, yeah, she, she did the best that she could with what she had. And that's all that anybody can try and do. But I do think it's very important, especially in a career that has a lot of, of moms and young moms and working families. Like we have to be able to allow people to, to kind of take care of their families well, but also take care of themselves. So I know that happens a lot where the, the leader and manager, uh, you have a great leader and manager who sort of takes the bullet. I think this happens often times it happens in vet med, but it also happens in retail and in restaurant services where the great manager, the ones people respect is the one who will go put in the work when the other person's gone. The other thing, did you ever have a situation any place you worked at where you saw this happen or you created it where the team itself sort of collectively figures out how to manage the X needs to be out. John needs to be out. So who can take this shift? Or did it usually fall? I'm the boss. It always falls on me. Or was it ever like a group that like, how are we going to manage this week, given the fact this one crazy thing's happening? I wanted it to go there. We I used to have like way back in like 20, 2013, I had like a GoDaddy scheduler thing. Oh, like, nice. Okay. I was trying to like get it to be a thing that people could kind of like self-police to be like, okay. And at the time, the folks who worked the overnights, they got a shift differential, right? So you got more in your bank account if you worked those late nights. But that wasn't for everyone, especially, again, when there are small children at home. And what's weird, we're, we're coming out of Christmas, right? So as a divorced mom, I was always had my kids on Christmas Eve. And at 2 o'clock on Christmas Day, they went off with their dad. And I used to go to work. I worked 3 to 11 on Christmas for 6 or 7 years. And I just was thinking about that yesterday. And I was like, I feel like I need to go to work today. <laughs> like, you know, they're in their 20s. They're, you know, in college and beyond. And, and they were off doing their own things with their, their dad the, yesterday. And I was like, I, I feel like I should go work somewhere. Like, get a good, you know, vomiting foreign body dog or something. <laughs> Your body and brain just got into the yeah. rhythm of doing that as part of the holiday. Yeah. But so one thing that uh, is different about going from being a, a veterinarian, and, and we touched on this a little bit with the idea of, of going into a side gig and doing something else that's different is there's such a need for veterinary medicine right now. Like people are waiting and it's hard to get appointments. You hear these horror stories of people waiting five and seven hours in a parking lot at an ER clinic because they just can't be seen. And when you're trying to do a side hustle and create something, a product, another, another source of income, the only thing that you can control is your ability to do whatever it is that you're doing and your availability that people know that you're out there. 
You can't control whether or not Dr. Jane down the road is going to be better than you. And you can't control whether or not the clients actually need whatever it is that you're offering. The only thing you can do is be good at what you are and let people know where you are to find you to get what you're offering. So my last few years, I've honed my ability. I'm very confident and happy with the portfolio I created. My mentor was like, these are all vet professionals? This is awesome. Because I went through a rigorous procedure of getting approved by my mentor to be an associate status, which is an elite group of 100 people in this group of over 19,000 headshot photographers in the United States. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with my abilities. And now it's about kind of making people know that I am available to help them have good pictures. And I think the same is true for someone if they are developing, you know, a new bag to hold angry cats, right? They've had their idea. They can't control whether or not people are going to have cranky cats to, to be held, but everybody needs to know that where they can get that bag. So, and somebody else might make a better bag next week. You can't control that. All you can do is make the best bag that you, you know how to. And so that's something that I think folks thinking about entrepreneurship, um, because there are a lot of people I see in social media, uh, veterinarians who are trying different things and talking about different paths, be it they're writing books or they're crossing the line into speaking. You need to be good at what you're doing and constantly trying to improve yourself to provide something that's of service for everybody else. And then let people know that that's, that's what you've, you've got. So if you're really into the hobby, you liked getting good at it. And then when you do the business, oh, you really want to, you like getting good at it. That self-promotional marketing thing, a few years ago, did you already want to do that? Or did you have to make yourself do it? Or have you had to sort of change your thinking about it? It's definitely a changing a thinking, okay. a mindset thing. You, you, like, again, it comes from vet meds, right? We're so used to people needing us. They just show up and we just... Now, we may not want, like every animal that comes to the door, they might not be in a good mood. Not every client is going to be happy that they have to be there. They're going to serve us back some level of drama because they don't like the prices or they can't afford. Like, there's all sorts of layers that go into every vet med appointment. It's not, not all squishing puppies and kittens. But trying to kind of figure out how to market my own business has been an interesting path because I look at some of the places that I'm around and I'm like, we could do better. We could do better at, at helping get the message out to the clients. Like, here we are. And this is how we can serve you better. That is interesting because that makes me, did you get to liking self-promotion and marketing more when you kind of got your head pointed toward, look at how much these people need this. Like that made you feel better. I'm not just marketing myself. I'm trying to help these people. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, there have been a lot of, talks and podcasts and things that I've listened to about business development. And there are a lot of people out there who are Instagram influencers or speakers who talk about things, basically fear, right? What's holding us back? Are we afraid that we're going to be judged? Are we afraid we're going to get kicked out of our tribe because we're doing something different or not saying the, the thing that everybody wants to hear? But is that really fear, right? We're not going to die if we stand up in front of a group and give a presentation. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at a local. So I go out and do a lot of networking events because I have a small business and I need to be the face of my small business to connect with other local businesses so we can kind of grow together. 
And I gave a presentation in front of 45 strangers with my camera talking about what I know best, which is how to get a great headshot. And I wasn't afraid. Now, 30 years ago in vet school, I had to give a talk on like asthma or something. It was like 10 minutes. And I probably vomited. It was off. I was like a hot, sweaty, sweaty, gross mess the whole time. And I really thought I was going to die, you know. So it is a little bit of kind of getting out there and taking on the things that are holding you back, be it public speaking or running a podcast or telling your story so that somebody else doesn't make the same dumb mistakes that you made. Like if somebody listening to this sets their QuickBooks up properly and gets help from the beginning, then I've done my job today because (laughs) what I have gone through for the last couple of weeks to try and sort my QuickBooks out has been just so painful. And if I had asked for help in the beginning, I probably wouldn't be as tortured by it. But it's just a lesson you wouldn't learn unless you did it poorly in the beginning. Want to talk to Dr. Baylor or check out her headshots? Visit imagesbyiba.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave a review. Tell your friends in VetMed about us. Learn more at vetxinternational.com. Until next time, just want you to know, I appreciate you.